What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. Live from the First Midwest Bank Studio on State Street, this is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Jonathan Hood. WMVP Chicago. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Half hour from now, we'll have Tales from the Hood as we redraft the 1987 NBA draft. Sean Davis and I will do that. We have a, a fun time doing that, but I'm making Davis sweat on this one. The 87... <laughs> The 87 draft is interesting. That is the Scotty Pippen draft, so we'll talk about that coming up in a half hour from now right here on Under, Under the Hood. We turn now to ESPN senior writer. Covers the NBA like a blanket for ESPN.com. It is Andre Stellings. He's with me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Dre, as always, we appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And now I want to get in on that 1987 draft. Call Call back. <laughs> Eighty-seven. It's, it's interesting because it's not it's not as obvious as one would think if you were to redraft. That's the Pippen draft. So, like two through ten, two through twelve is very interesting. As we talk, just open up a tab and just go through that and just take a look. I'd yeah, I'm actually I'm looking at it now. I'm trying to figure out how David Robinson was in the eighty-seven draft. I know he spent a couple years in the Naval um, Academy, but I thought he was like eighty-eight or eighty-nine. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm revisiting my history now. <laughs> so interesting, right? So you got to yeah, figure it out. Man. So, um, so uh, I want to get your thoughts. Um, you know, listen, there's a lot of uh, Detroit sadness in this documentary. You know, with the uh, <laughs> with, with, with the Dream Team. I I want to get your thoughts about Isaiah Thomas first, though, because um, we had a guest on Kevin Pelton was on Saturday on my Saturday show on the network. And mm-hmm. he he was writing about the analytics of Isaiah Thomas saying that Isaiah had slipped in '91, had a a uh, wrist injury. He only played 48, 49 games or something like that, and said and pretty much said that from an analytics standpoint, Isaiah did not belong on the dream team. And I call BS on that because Isaiah deserved to be on that dream team because of his body of work. What what do you yeah. think of of Isaiah Thomas uh, as far as him not allowed on that ninety two Dream Team from a number standpoint? Did he deserve to be there? Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. I mean, you can't really look at the numbers from ninety one and and make a determination because Magic wasn't even playing, and I'm pretty sure Bird was either on his last leg or he had retired too, you know, because of his back. So mm-hmm. you know, it's not like not having a great ninety one season was a disqualifier. Um, as somebody who's really into analytics, Zeke is an interesting case. You know, Allen Iverson's another one. There are guys that weren't weren't very efficient for being high volume scorers, and most of the box score analytics are built on efficiency. And so they're they're both kind of lightning rod cases among people that are kind of more NBA heads versus people that are a little more analytically bent. Um, even though I'm all into the numbers, I tend to argue for both of them, both Zeke and, and AI, that efficiency is not the be-all, end-all. And growing up watching Isaiah Lord Thomas, that man to play. You know, um, it, it's interesting though to go back and look. He wasn't. He, you know, he was never in the MVP conversation. 
you know, it's not like he was getting seconds and thirds. Like, I think he had maybe two top ten MVP finishes in his career. That surprised me when I went back and looked at it. But all of that said and done, um, with his body of work, with them at the time having won two of the previous three championships, um, I, I would say that, that he definitely deserved to be on that team. So, Andre, let's take it to the barbershop now. We've taken it to the analytic chair. Now we've got to take it to the barbershop. You know what I want from Isaiah Thomas? I want him to stop going on radio and TV shows and stop piston piston explaining what happened during that time <laughs> with the Chicago Bulls and Pistons. Like, look, man, you are what you are, right? Yeah, you were part mm-hmm. of the bad boys. Bad boys don't they don't apologize. That reminds me, I got to call Rick Mahorn because I want right. to get on the show and get his thoughts because he's a friend and he's he's still bitter. He's uh, he's bitter on two on two levels. Mahorn's. Tricky Rick is mad because he was in an expansion draft and didn't get his second ring with the Pistons because he went right. to Minnesota. And he also just he's <laughs> mad because the Bulls didn't call him. <laughs> it's like they mm-hmm. called Buddha Edwards and John Sally and him. Um, but, exactly. But I, I, I just I want Isaiah to stop getting on radio shows and apologizing for the way Michael was treated. I know that for a new generation, Dre, they're seeing this for the first time. Like, wow, the Pistons were dirty. No, the Pistons were physical, and that's what they they, they do. What they did, what they did to try to stop Michael until it didn't work anymore. What What do you think about exactly. Isaiah just going from place to place talking? Yeah, I mean, you know, old, old school hip hop ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. You know, you can't <laughs> can't be the bad boys and then take a step back. And I definitely feel that. You know, it's interesting. Um, I actually I met Isaiah last year at um, at the uh, uh, Vegas Summer League. Um, we ended up just kind of randomly taking the elevator up, and the crew that was with him were joining him because he was wearing Jordans. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was like, how are you going to be wearing Jordans? And he was just kind of like, yeah, you know, time has passed. We moved on. Um, but it's clear that he hasn't. It's clear that, that it still bothers him. And I don't know if it's kind of the equivalent of, or at least in his mind, the equivalent of Pete Rose trying to get back into baseball. So every few years he comes up and says, well, you know, I wasn't so bad. Um, I don't know if it's that kind of thing. But, yeah, it's it, he would be cooler in the barbershop if he would have just, you know, took the Bill Lane beer route, like, I don't care what y'all did. I, you know, I ain't want you no way, you know, forget you. Then, then he would at least kind of have, have more of that edge about himself, you know, because as we saw in the documentary, Jordan's not going to change his mind. Like he's, mm-hmm. he is where he is and he feels how he feels. And so, you know, yeah, it might be nice for, for Isaiah to be able to move on. Andre Snellings from ESPN.com with Jonathan Hoods. We talk about the NBA on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Dre, um, when you look at LeBron James as of late, over the last, I'd say, month or so, he's had his comments about the NBA returning, saying initially, hey, I can't see myself not playing in front of fans. This is not going to work. To LeBron saying, hey, you know, I'd love to be able to get back on the floor. What do you think the influence, we talk about Michael Jordan's influence, right, with this last dance and his relationship with David Stern. What do you think LeBron's influence is in the league as far as the league trying to return? I was about to say, you'll you'll see his influence if the league returns. Like, um, the other day, it was a couple days ago, there was this buzz that several of the owners and and front office people were kind of pushing for the season to be canceled because, you know, they didn't really see a need to come back. And within, like, 12 hours, LeBron was on the record, like, I don't know nobody that doesn't want to come back. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to come back. And, of course, he more than any player in the NBA, he has – kind of the biggest reason to want to come back this year. He's still in his prime. He's having an MVP caliber season. 
and the Lakers have a legitimate chance to win the championship. And and the, the, these are like huge things that he requires in order to cement himself at the level he wants to be. So if you know, I think that I, I think LeBron has some pool. You know, he's he's the biggest name in the NBA right now, uh, has been for the last generation, and I think that people would like to see his storyline play out maybe more than any other. And if it were the case where the Lakers were in 10th, you know, if it was like last season and the Lakers were in 10th, I think you might have a less intense push to bring the season back um, in, in some form or fashion. So I definitely think he has pull, and I definitely think he's pulling as hard as he can. Now, whether he can pull harder than Corona, that's, that, that's, a, you know, that's a different <laughs> question entirely. Um, uh, is there any way for you to be able to look into the future for LeBron and, and tell me whether or not this time off hurts or helps LeBron in his advanced age? So here's the thing. If they come back this year, if I think it helps LeBron personally because he would be fresh and, and, and renewed, you know, the NBA season's a marathon. However, it doesn't help him in the respect that his competition also gets to get better. You know, the Clippers all season, Paul George especially, been dealing with injuries. And so for them to be able to come back, everybody 100% fresh, is a, a, a stronger obstacle than maybe they would have been facing before. And, you know, there, there were there have been rumors ever since the delay that, oh, maybe they'll let uh, Durant be able to come back from Brooklyn. And then what would they look like? You know, they're no longer a regular A seed in the East. I still don't think they will come out of the, the, the conference, but, you know, it, it makes things more interesting. It's too bad that the Warriors were so far out of it because Steph and Clay could probably play now too, but, you know, why would they? Because the team is... Um, an extra last. Yes. Uh, what Dre wanted to say there is trash, but he didn't say that here on the show. Um, <laughs> you got your translation app on. <laughs> he wanted to say trash. What, uh, Andre, what, is, uh, what was the most interesting storyline from a number standpoint that you were interested in before the season was suspended? There were a few of them. Um, I was really interested in watching – the Bucks versus history, because up until that last week or two, they were not only on 70 win pace, which everybody was, was kind of paying attention to, but their scoring margin was at the top of NBA history. Like, like into this year, into 2020, they were still battling, I think, maybe the, 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 that ridiculous um, uh, 76ers team with Will Chamberlain. They, they had like a 12 or 13 point scoring margin. The Bucks were, were battling with that for most of the year. So I was kind of curious to see how it played out because normally you see those really dominant regular season teams only in teams that already have championships because they feel like, okay, now we can go for it. And so to see them going, kind of going for it um, on a team that hadn't got to the promised land yet, uh, that was, that was kind of interesting to me. And the other one that was really catching my eye was what the Rockets looked like after they traded so that, you know, their center was 6'5". And essentially what they right. did, they traded so that their center became Russell Westbrook. And so I was really enjoying watching them play as well. And they're another team that if, if the, the, the league comes back, I think they would be dramatically helped because the style of play they have to play with no center is so high energy that I've seen them be able to beat, you know, the best teams. They beat the Lakers. They're, they're really competitive. But they use so much energy – that, you know, when, when they start running into back-to-backs or three games and four nights, they were all burnt out. So um, a playoff after a big rest, that, that could be really interesting for those Rockets. Dre, if Houston was to win the championship or even get to the finals, going to, with this small ball, 
there's going to be a bunch of dudes at six nine and taller that will just be lined up in the G League trying to get in the league. Exactly. I mean, that's because exactly. I mean, because you know how it is, right? It, everything becomes a copycat league where it's like, oh, smaller, mm-hmm. oh, positionless, cool. Well, then we don't we don't need anybody over six nine, six ten, six eleven that can't shoot threes. So yeah. so so now you're going to be trying to scrunch down when you get measured because you don't want to be too tall. If the Rockets get this to win, I don't believe it will work. I still believe in size and rebounding. Uh, I know it's an archaic number. I understand, but rebounding still matters. <laughs> so I'm just saying, man, you know. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I mean, real quick, because I, I don't know where I might have to go. I, I had written an article on Dennis Rodman. You are talking about rebounding. And I had to kind of modify it because I was looking for guys that had led the NBA in rebounds in back-to-back season. And up until, like, 2010, it was, like, 10 of the best players in NBA history. And then over the last few years, you've had the Andres, you know, Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan, and they're good players, but they don't belong on that list. But they're still kind of old school. We can get the rebound. They just might not have the impact um, in today's league. So, so yeah, the, the game has definitely changed. <laughs> so, so hold up. So that's, you know, I find that fascinating. As we talked to Andre Snellings from ESPN on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, I find it fascinating. I want to know. What does your computer say for players like Rodman and Ben Wallace in particular, yeah. right? Because you really do a deep dive on the analytics. And again, it's it's kind of like how people look at rebounds, how baseball guys look at home runs and now saying that home runs or wins are not an interesting stat or, or not a, a compelling uh, and frontline stat. So when you see players like that, they were just good at one thing. How does that work with your numbers? Yeah, so here's the thing. They were good at more than one thing. The box score only has one category where they fit. Like, that's one of, been one of my biggest pet peeves is that there's no box score category for I stopped my man from scoring. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's a hugely important thing. Or I helped out on defense and stopped your man from scoring. Like, so guys like Rodman um, in, the, in the box score just says, well, he had 21 rebounds, but he was also glued to the best offensive player on the other team so and, and the same with ben wallace you know box sports he gets uh steals and, and blocks as well um where rodman didn't right but they were both really really big impact guys um, like on that 04 uh, pistons championship team chauncey billups you know got the, the the finals mvp but if you look at like their plus minus uh numbers in the playoffs ben wallace way led the team you know like he was the key guy on that team and the same with rodman somebody put together like this analytics like document like this treatise on on Dennis Rodman's um uh value and how it was undervalued um people don't realize how important he was there's a reason why championships followed him it wasn't just that he played with great players and so that type of player is hugely valuable the question in today's NBA is is it possible for a player to have that big of an impact on defense with the way that offense and the rules have changed I think it's still possible we were still seeing in this day and age um, Kevin Garnett, for example, breaking the defensive impact uh, scales, he, you know, even just a handful of years ago when he was really old. So if you've got a player like that that was in his prime in today's NBA, I think you could still really see a big impact. Draymond Green has a much bigger impact than you would expect um, because of his defensive value. Remember, man, the 87 draft, we're breaking it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, that sounds fascinating. After they, I mean, even in Chicago, David Robinson would have to, I would think, go over Scottie Pippen. But uh, that after that one, too, I'm, I'm really curious where y'all go. <coughs> Wait a minute. 
Are you saying Dennis Rodman, the Admiral? Hold on now. <laughs> I, 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 you, you would take you would take uh, Scottie Pippen over over the Admiral. I mean, I know I'm in Chicago. I, I know I am, but I mean, David Robinson was a monster, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, he had some he had some help. He had, he had the best power forward, yeah. and then you know, in the history of the game, next to him too, though. So. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you, if you, you know, because you're not drafting Jordan, so if, if you put Jordan with David Robinson, you think they'd have had less than six rings? No, I'm looking at Joe Wolf right now, dog. I mean, I'm thinking. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, who am I to tell you what you're gonna do with your team? <laughs> I'm glad you came on, man. Thanks so much as always. All right, thanks for having me. It is Andre Snellings from me. <laughs> ESPN uh, with us here. Uh, yeah, we will redraft the 87 draft uh, coming up, the Scottie Pippen draft. Um, we can't make that a poll question, Davis, because that's not going to work. Robinson or Pippen, that's not going to work. Put it out there. Who no, 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 no. Mm-mm. We will uh, discuss that coming up at 830. Uh, all part of the mix right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. (laughs) It's going to be funny. Sean Davis and I are going to redraft the 87 draft, and I'm still trying to figure out my... I got 9 and 10. I just don't know my 7 and 8 yet. (laughs) I'm still working on it. Uh, But by the time we get to to Tales from the Hood, I better get this right. Uh, On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. You know what, Davis? You know what you should do? You should should call uh, our guy, Andre Andre Snellings, yes, after we have drafted and see what he thinks. Okay. Let's do it. You're talking about like the admiral. Like, wait a minute. Hold on now. That's a clear debate at one. Man, look. Absolutely. Man, look. I, it's not the Tim Duncan draft. Come on. I mean, he was a nice player, but he was young MC. <laughs> was he not? I don't even know what to say to that hood. What was? What's wrong with that? He was, he was the, young MC. He was the young MC. I of, thought you were gonna go to AC Green route, but no, he was young MC. The young MC of setters. You know, it, it was, was a one-hit wonder until Tim Duncan got there. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean that's what Elijah Wadden Sampson was supposed to look like, wasn't it? I would at least give him DJ quick. <laughs> just, <laughs> just at least. Uh, Mark Eversley is the new general manager for the Chicago Bulls, and he spoke on Friday. We were not on Friday, so we haven't not, have not heard from Mark Eversley on the show. Um, and I'm very interested in his approach and Connor Chauvis's approach of how they're going to handle the new look Chicago Bulls for the future. He, he was asked his impressions of the Bulls organization before accepting the job. I certainly did my research on, on the team. Obviously winning 22 games this year uh, is not ideally where you want to be. Um, you know, I do think, you know, I'm going to be committed to, you know, I was committed to my role with the Sixers. So I didn't, you know, study them that intently. Um, but when I did, you know, I noticed that, you know, they, they, they're not necessarily a strong rebounding team. Um, you know, I don't think they shot it particularly well this year. Um, but I do think there's areas of improvement. Um, and, and we're committed to getting this, turning this program around. Um, with respect to any other, you know, coaching and all that kind of stuff, again, it's, it's really about, you know, getting to Chicago and, 
been doing a deep dive on all of the departments, uh, including coaching staff, um, and you know, really figuring out what the needs are and addressing them, and then putting a plan in place against uh, all of those needs. Uh, so some thoughts there from Eversley. Also, the, the one burning question I think from Bulls fans is trying to determine, like, so now these moves have happened. President of Basketball Operations, you got a Konashovis, you got a new GM, so you know what's next, right? It's got to be the head coach, and so, and I'm totally in agreement with that. I listen. This is something that we've talked about a lot already here on the show that you know that Boylan is over his head as head coach for the Bulls. I think that's. It's pretty obvious here, right? I mean, he was a good assistant. It's funny looking back at some of these um, classic games that keep showing on ESPN. I see Boylan next to Greg Popovich. And I guess as an assistant, I guess that he was tolerable for Pop uh, because if he was a dummy, he wouldn't be on that bench. So he knows basketball, but just when it comes to him being a head coach and being able to um, harness a team, keep a team together, it just, it just, it's not working. And so the question was posed to Eversley, you know, why don't you start fresh with a new head coach? Coach and I did have a conversation earlier in the week um, where he called to congratulate me on accepting the position. Um, you know, just like anything else in our staff, uh, we are going to utilize, you know, our time to evaluate everybody on staff, you know, not only players, coaches, but um, also people in the front office as well. So, you know, I've spoken to coach. We had a really great conversation. And I'm looking forward to spending uh, time with him in Chicago when, when we're afforded that opportunity. You know, I, I think we owe it to everybody on staff to to get to Chicago and meet them face to face. I think we owe it to our players to hopefully get to evaluate them in practice settings, playing settings. Um, you know, and we owe it to our staff to, to to see them in those types of settings as well. I just think it's far too early to make any of those types of decisions um, with respect to anybody on the staff. You know, until we get to Chicago. So thoughts there for Mark Eversley, the new general manager for the Bulls. Well, keep our eyes on that story. Uh, we know we won't get the draft in June like we normally we won't even get the lottery, and we don't know when the season will start. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the new look Bulls will look like uh, in the very near future. Tales from the Hood is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN Chicago's home for sports. Go. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Right here on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. You never know what we're going to do on Tales from the Hood. Tonight, we're going to do a bit uh, that Sean and I have come up with. Completely stolen from the Bill Simmons podcast, by the way, We, as we have revealed. You know, some people in the business will just start doing bits and, and not give the ownership of where they got the bit. I know that I've seen this on YouTube where Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo go back and they redraft certain years in the NBA. 
So um, I don't know if they've done 1987, but we are going to do 1987 tonight because it's a Scotty Pippen draft. That's how I look at it because that's the year that Pippen was drafted. It, it it's a correlation with uh, the Last Dance pot, uh, the Last Dance uh, documentary on ESPN. So, Sean, uh, are you done sweating? Uh, have you heard? <laughs> I, I text you early in the day and said, "Man, this this right here." I see why there was a lot of willing and dealing in this draft. I mean, there's some quality in this draft. Um, so in this draft, as you, if you're driving, you start thinking about these names. David Robinson, Armand Gilliam, uh, Scottie Pippen, Kenny the Jet Smith, KJ, Kevin Johnson, Olden Polonese, Horace Grant was in this draft. Uh, Reggie Miller is in this draft. Uh, Mark Jackson, Ken Norman from the Fighting Illini. Dallas Comages, to throw you off the scent, was also at this. Steve Alford was in this draft. Very solid draft. Very solid draft. Some <laughs> quality in here, right? Some veteran, some long-standing veteran careers came out of this draft. Derek McKee, Joe Wolf, yes, you know uh, Reggie Lewis. Oh, there's a lot of of quality in this draft. So '87 was tough. So, and uh, and the parameters for this is not necessarily always from a number standpoint. It, it's based on what you know now. How would you redraft? the 87 draft based on those that were in the draft. So I'll let you go first. Who is your first pick of the 87 draft? You have to keep in mind, this is not a homer pick. This is me throwing on my scout slash GM hat. All right, Muggsy Bowe. Right? All right. So Portsmouth, Portsmouth, Scotty, he's coming. He's on fire. He's climbing up the charts. David Robinson was coming back, had not played. He was coming back from serving. From the Naval Academy and in the armed forces. And what I saw from Scotty, when Mike wasn't here, how he can lead a team, I'm going to go ahead and say that the rest of the league is going to copycat based upon what Michael Jordan did when he changed the narrative that you needed a big man. And Scotty Pippen goes number one. All right, Muggsy Bogues, you're going to take one. Okay, we got no. you down. <laughs> 14 year career for Muggsy now. Hold because on. of the copycat trend. Okay. Because of what Mike did. Yes. Okay. Scotty so, goes number one. Now, knowing what I know now, Scotty Pippen, because, and look, if you saw him play, I don't have to explain this, but for those that need an explanation, I mean, Scotty Pippen, as you mentioned, changed the game and uh, still, I think, even to this day, underrated defensively. Um, and remember, you know, Never mind the hype of President Clinton talking about how he was at the game seeing Pippen. I don't even know if I believe that. Uh, but, but you know, Bill Clinton says he was there. He knew he was going to be great. He was from Central Arkansas. Nobody went to the games. Uh, but but Pippen grew into a all-time top 50 player. So Pippen would be the top of this list in the 87 draft. My number two choice would be Reggie Miller. Whoa. Um <laughs> because <laughs> Reggie Miller it was also a cold-blooded assassin, especially from three when people were knocking down threes on a regular basis. Uh, it, coming out of UCLA, people thought he was soft. People still believe that Cheryl was a better player, nonetheless. She and is. <laughs> shit, we're friends, Cheryl and I, so she'd be glad to hear that. <laughs> so Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Miller and Reggie used to battle back and forth, but Reggie Miller... In, at Indiana now, maybe it's toward the middle of toward the end of his career, but I'm thinking to Phoenix taking Reggie Miller. Now, what does Phoenix look like with Reggie Miller on it? A little different, right? They do because at that point in time, they had Jay Humphreys and Jeff Hornacek on the roster. 
Yeah, so San Antonio, we both agree with with Pippen. I have Reggie Miller going to Phoenix. What do you have? I'm going to go ahead and put the Admiral right there. Phoenix needed a big man. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. They had Jeff Hornacek and J- uh, Jay Humphreys, as I previously said. Yeah, Walter Davis at the end of his career. He was That's small, the man. young big man that you need right there. And Jordan. This won't be in the documentary, but Jordan was salty that he didn't get Walter Davis as a teammate. And I'm glad Jerry Krause made the decision not to bring him in. <laughs> Good decision, Jerry. Because this is during the time. This is not like LeBron now. You That's know, like, like wanting your idol, right? Yeah. That's like Kenny Williams wanting Ken Griffey Jr. Just, just to get him on the roster. Pretty much. Yes. Jordan had suggested some of his friends, like Rod Higgins, maybe. He snuck Trent Tucker in there. Uh, Towards yeah. the end of the career. Yeah, yeah Rodney McCray. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But he did want Walt. Uh, he wanted Walter him. Davis really Walter bad. Davis. And, and Krause said no. So three, I have the Admiral. Because Robinson was not playing right away. It still took a year, did it not? Did he play right away as soon as he came out of the United States Naval Academy? Well, whatever it is, he would go to New Jersey three for me. Right. And and by the way, he probably wouldn't have had the great career without Duncan being there. Yeah, he would have been fine. But oh, his career was decent before Tim Duncan got there. Ah, he's fine. It was decent. I mean, the Rodman teams were pretty good with Sean Elliott, David Robinson. They were good. Actually, they were pretty good. When I think about it, yeah, they couldn't get past the Portland Trail Blazers, but they were pretty good. What do you have at three? At three, I'm shaking it up. Man, people forget how good this guy was before his untimely death. Reggie Kent? Lewis. Oh, there you go. Reggie Kent Norman. Uh, Reggie Lewis <laughs> at number three goes to the Nets, which is a far better pick than who they actually took. Another guy that snuck out a championship with this Bulls team and Dennis Hobson. Ooh, bad. Yeah, real bad. And they had five years just for Dennis Hobson. Okay, um, we go to the Clippers at four. I take Mark Jackson. Um, he eventually was a Clipper, wasn't he? Yes. Yes, he was. Mark, Mark Jackson came into the league as a rookie point guard and was very good. Mark Jackson. People just see him go, you know, mama, there goes that man. Hand down, man down as a broadcaster. Mark Jackson was an assassin. He was yeah. killer. Yeah, he was. Um, out of St. John's, he played 17 years in the league, solid as a as a guard in the league. I'm going up and giving you Mark Jackson at four to the Clippers. What do you have? At four, I'm going to go with Reggie Miller. This is where Reggie Miller fits perfectly going to the Clippers, going back home for that franchise. The perfect guy to put with the Los Angeles Clippers. L.A. zone. What do you have at five to Seattle? Originally, I switched it up. I'm going to go Horace Grant right here. Originally, I had Kevin Johnson, but Seattle at that point in time, they were uh, collecting old Bulls point guards. They had Sedell, Three, and Sam Vincent. So I'm going to go with uh, Horace Grant. I'll, I, too, have Horace Grant 5 to Seattle. That's funny that you say that. Grant had a, a solid career of 17 years, um, averaged uh, 11.2 points a game, 8 rebounds. Um, look at this. Two assists. I think, yeah, he has 8 rebounds. 8 rebounds a game, yeah. So Horace out of Clemson uh, was a solid pick. I take him 5 as well. I have... You know, one of my favorite point guards is Kevin Johnson. I, I love Kevin Johnson. I know that maybe from a number standpoint, that doesn't hold true today. But I, I liked his steadiness with the Suns. Oh, Those are good Suns great. teams. Oh, Absolutely. I'm a big Kevin Johnson fan when I was a kid. Like, uh, watching him, like, okay. Because you, you put on that late night, you know, Phoenix Suns game, especially when the Bulls are playing. Like, okay, it's going to be a little bit of a battle because KJ could play. Um, so, 
12 years in the league. Is he still the mayor of Sacramento? I don't remember. But uh, KJ, six. What do you have? Yeah, I have Kevin Johnson going six to Sacramento, playing there, and then eventually becoming the mayor. Fits what, perfectly. What do you have, seven to Cleveland? Seven to Cleveland? This is where I go Mark Jackson. Okay. Yes. Mark Jackson to the Cleveland Cavaliers at seven. I went Armand Gilliam. <laughs> Armand Gilliam at UNLV. Hey, Armand solid. was he was solid, <laughs> and he was a solid six man for a lot of years, especially in Milwaukee and New Jersey. Armand, I, I don't hate on that. I can't hate on that. I can't Armand hate on that. Gilliam. Seven to Cleveland, and now the Bulls pick at eight. What do you have? I'm going to put Michael Jordan with his teammate. And it's going to be Kenny Smith, the Jet. Oh, for heaven's sakes. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go an all-Tar Heel backcourt here in Chicago. No, no. This is my team, man. Kenny Smith. Yes. You know, the more he's on TV, the greater he was as a Rocket. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I I took who the Bulls took originally, Old Apologies. (laughs) I can see that. I can see that, though. I mean, at tough. the time, he was tough. Right? Very much in the mold of a Charles Oakley type that they had taken. So, yeah, I, I definitely can see that. You know, with the, the Tar Heel backcourt, we would have the knock knee and the bow leg. <laughs> so, where does, where does, let me, I'm trying to remember the 87 uh, guards. Paxson wasn't, was he there by then? Yeah, was Pax it? was here. So, you can put Pax on the bench? Guess he will. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, nine to Seattle. I took Kenny Smith there. Okay. I I'm going to take. I'm going to put Derek McKee there. Solid. Very solid player. I took Reggie Lewis, the late Reggie Lewis, 10th. You dropped Reggie all the way down? To, to 10 to the Bulls. Oh, so you were being selfish. You wanted him next to Mike. He was a terrific player. Yeah, <laughs> that's solid. I mean, he was. You can't get Scotty out of this draft. Reggie Lewis would have been. Yeah. So you didn't t- take Armand Gilliam? This is where the debate comes in right now. It was either him or Dallas Comagees. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm just trying to show a little love to, to the DePaul player. Leto's like, yeah, talk about my guy there. Coach um, Joe's like, yeah, he was he was solid. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't mess with um But no, Armand Gilliam, I gave Kenny Norman some thought here as well. Kenny Norman was solid, especially early on in his career. But yeah, I, I definitely settled on Armand Gil- Gilliam right here. Okay. Yeah. I can I can feel somebody. Yeah. I think I feel a Detroiter on my sh- on my shoulder right now, breathing heavy. You feel that breeze I, from up I, north I can, off the lakes. I can feel. I can feel uh, someone a Detroiter looking at us that is into analytics and just laughing right now at these picks. Oh, by the way, you didn't take Sharunas Marshallonis either. Yeah, I did not. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Andre Snellings. Yeah, there. Okay, so you you heard our. <laughs> Our, our picks here. What stands I out did. about the 87 draft? What do you think? I mean, I, you know, y'all had a good point that you would have had to w- w- wait on David Robinson a few years. I'm taking David Robinson number one. I, You know, especially, I thought maybe you were talking about for this era because it's more perimeter-based. But even in this era, I take 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 the admiral and wait. Like he he was worth it. But but back then, that's you know the 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 all the big men that were like patrolling the NBA and um, 
you know, since in this history Pippen never gets to Chicago, um, we don't know what, what Jordan would have been able to do, you know, and, and so uh, you look at how Olajuwon was dominating and, and Robinson and Ewing, I, I'd had to go with the Admiral. Um, the other thing I thought that was interesting, Reggie Miller, like, you know, I, I, obviously I had Pippen number two. Reggie Miller, um, analytically, he's a dog. Like, we talked about efficiency in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Reggie was one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA, and especially because he was able to up his volume in the playoffs and keep that efficiency. So I think he, he's a great pick. You know, he's a great number two, I guess. I don't love the term, but, you know, somebody that is not necessarily going to be uh, hogging the ball. But just his off-the-ball presence is going to stretch the floor. So I, I really liked him at number three. I had KJ at number four. Um, mm-hmm. he, he had some injuries, but that man, when, when he was healthy, he was a monster. So um, I had him above Mark Jackson. And really, it was between him and Horace Grant were battling for that four or five slot for me. And so, um, you know, because I, I agree, Grant was very solid and had the ability probably to – scale that up you know i don't know if he ever would have been a 2010 big man but he i think he could have flirted with that if he was on a team where he would have been more of a a, 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 a primary option as opposed to being behind jordan and Pippen. what about the jet kenny smith the jet kenny smith i had him so after horace grant at five i had mark jackson at six mm-hmm. reggie lewis i didn't know where to put him because talent wise he was top you know three or four but you know he had such a tragic finish so i had him at seven, then I had Kenny Smith at eight, and then um, I rounded it out with Derek McKee, and I had Marshall Lonis as, as my tenth man. I was upset go. I couldn't get Muggsy Bogues in there, but um... <laughs> <laughs> wait just a second. See, I told you, Davis, Marshall Lonis, solid. He I know. But Sarunis was what about four? He had a three to four year stretch where he was really top notch, and then injuries kind of derailed him. Yeah, you know, and he had played, like a lot of Europeans, and he had played yeah. a lot of his professional career before he came to the U.S. But he still ended up, did he, did he get a sixth man of the year, or he was like runner-up? I mean, he was right in the mix for it. And so it was like he had a pretty strong career. Yeah, he was lethal in Golden State. He was lethal. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when it was not invoked to not be knocking down threes, you could always depend on that on some Western Conference team. Uh, Marshall Onis was part of that. He was a, he was a really good player. Um I'm thinking, is there any other guy that we're missing, Davis, that we should ask about uh, numbers-wise? Oh, Kenny Norman was that guy for me who was solid. Ten, ten years, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he was a solid pro. I really liked him in college, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I used to pay, pay a lot of attention to uh, to that to that team, you know, that, that Illinois team. Um, so I really liked him in college. It, it's interesting because that Illinois team was one of my favorites of all time. You know, with, you know Norman and Kendall Gill and and Bardo and they had, you know, they were just monsters in college. And they all had kind of solid NBA careers, but it was kind of surprising to me that none of them turned into stars at the next level. No love for uh, for Chris Dudley. That's a shame. Oh well. <laughs> I mean, we only did a top ten. I mean, there were some other names that had some NBA careers. You know, Cadillac yeah. Anderson was around. Cadillac. You know, Muggsy, of course. Yeah. Uh, Scott Brooks was on the undrafted list, and, and he came in and had a, a, a pretty solid run. See, this is why 87 was not easy. That's why we picked it, because he, you wait for the Admiral or you go with, with Scotty. That's it. That's oh, my it's goodness. A, it's the Admiral big... was so dominant, though, yeah, man. man. I, I think wait people for him, forget man. because he played with Duncan, but the Admiral 
was very arguably better than Duncan, you know, and he just kind of took a, a, a back seat and, and more of a defensive role. But when you start looking at those impact stats again and you go back to like those late 90 teams that people consider Duncan's team, the plus-minus was, was following the Admiral. You know, when he was on the court, they were pretty much unbeatable. Um, yeah. But, I mean, even before that, you know, he, he was the MVP for a reason. He couldn't get with Akeem in the playoffs, you know. I mean, I don't know how much shame there is in that. But other than that, they, I think he's one of the reasons why Scotty didn't win the MVP, right? That, that, that year that, that Jordan was out, didn't Scotty finish third behind David Robinson and, and maybe Olajuwon? Hey, man, don't be bringing up that, like bad memories now. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, I mean, that may be a bad memory. You know, Tipper <laughs> showed he could be top three in the MVP votes. Like, that, that was a heck of a breakout season. I'm just saying that Robinson might have been better. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, see, we knew if we brought you back, you set us straight. See, we got to bring you back when we do, when we redraft next week. See, we're, it's always Oh, yeah. It's, it's always yeah, interesting. This is a ball. I love this. So, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm aware I'm on in Chicago, so I don't know. My, my Twitter handle might be getting flamed right now. So, <laughs> against Scotty Pippen. I mean, I love Pippen, you know, but, uh, you know, if you just tip of the Admiral, I got to go with the Admiral. That's funny. That 94 season, he just talked about Halajuwon was MVP. Yeah. David Robinson was second in MVP voting. Scotty was third. Shaq was fourth. Patrick Ewan was fifth. Wow. It was definitely a big man time. Wow. Oh, yeah. Definitely yeah, a big was, man's game. The last major peak for the for the centers. All right, Dre. Well, we'll, we'll have you back, man, because you're, you're going to be here to set us straight when we redraft again. All right. I appreciate it. I look forward to it. All right. It's Andre Snellings with us here as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. You have the Nerf hoop over the door, the foosball table in the basement, and that tiny triangle football you flick through your kids' goalpost-shaped hands. Chicago's home for sports is with you as you're at home playing sports. ESPN 1000. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Yeah, I love this uh, redrafting. We got to do this with other sports, with the NBA, the NFL. But the NBA is always interesting because there's so many names. Yeah, (laughs) it's just kind of funny because it it takes you back and it gives you uh, perspective what you know of the player today, how would you redraft it? I still would have Pippen at the top of my list at 87. Um, but the Admiral was good. When you look at these numbers now, they were very good. Next week, we'll do the 1988 draft. That is the Will Purdue draft. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. To- Can you say undrafted? <laughs> no, he's a friend of the program, damn it. Wait a minute. Don't say that about Will. Well, we'll see. Uh, but we'll... <laughs> But, but this is a deep 88 draft. We'll, we'll talk about it. It's just interesting, some of these names on here. All right, coming up in our uh, our next segment, we're going to hear from the iconic Ahmad Rashad. Ahmad Rashad was part of the Last Dance documentary. Of course, he was always around the Jordan Bulls during those championship years for inside stuff and working with the NBA uh, on television on NBC. And so we're going to get Ahmad's thoughts about The Last Dance. Also, if you're a wrestling fan, you know I got you, right? Every Tuesday at 930, I give you something special for pro wrestling slash sports entertainment with Money in the Bank right around the corner as well. Um, For the WWE, we will 
have Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday at 9.30. So if you are a wrestling fan or know of one, tell them to come to uh, their listening device, come to their sports, their uh, smart speakers, and ask for ESP 1000. Boom, you're right there where you can hear Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday at 9.30. But Ahmad Rashad, the iconic Ahmad Rashad, talking about The Last Dance, is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.